This is the Five Boy Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fan podcast. AC coming right out of Cameron last night. It wasn't like I was jumping for joy at all. <laughs> it, it felt like, ah, you know, we'll take the win. But that's, uh, look, it was nice to be there. I thought Cameron did everything that they could mm-hmm. to try to lift Duke up. But at the end of the day, every time we got on the precipice of making a little bit of a run, we just gifted it right back to him to the point where we could have easily lost that game. And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the recaps of that game. But this is, uh, Jack, this is the second week in a row where AC has turned down an <laughs> offer to go to Cameron. <laughs> I, how do you feel about oh, that? Man. You, can't, you can't be doing that. It's, I mean, it's, it's Kay's last season. You got to try to get to a game in Cameron if you got the opportunity. I mean, I am. I, I mean, you got we, a good are, point. You are. You know which one I'm going to. <laughs> arguably, the most important of the games, but uh, but but still, I mean, that's it's, that that's you don't know if you're going to make it to that. It's that, true. You, know, it's it's true. Just, you never know. I mean, this is the, you know this is the time where you know when Jack said this is Coach Kay's last year. It's just when the opportunity presents itself. You gotta say, "Hey, <laughs> I'm sick. I can't come to work today." All right, look. And if you win, show up next game, if you win the lottery, I will go. How about that? I will go. Uh, well, that that will, well, we'll I see. Will go. We'll we'll see. Like you know, you know how what happens with the, the camera lottery. We'll get to everything else here. But if you start turning down tickets, you know mm-hmm, your mm-hmm. place, your ranking for the lottery goes down. Correct. And much like in this scenario. You know, you know, when you were the first call, you were the first call. That, now you might be the third or the fourth. You know, that's kind of how, how this works. All right, all right, all right. Hey, man, it's fair. That is, that is absolutely fair. All right. Uh, well, speaking of fair, okay. So we had two games since our last podcast. You know, we obviously lost to Florida State, so we come back. We beat the doors off of Syracuse. And then we played Clemson that game last night where, Jack, it just seemed like every time – now, first of all, credit to Clemson because they shot extremely well pretty much all game long from three. I thought they played very tough defensively. They out-rebounded us by eight, so we'll touch on that. But overall, Duke just – it didn't feel like they came to play with the sense of urgency that was required for a team to, to, to knock out Clemson and just put them away early. And one thing I do want to talk about with both of you guys is this team isn't good enough. Duke's not good enough to just be a team that flips the switch and they decide when or when not to play as hard as they possibly can. So what did you take away from the Clemson game before we talk about Syracuse? Well, I um, I think it was a little sloppy, obviously. I think the biggest factor in the game being so close, at least in the first half, was the fact that Paulo was out pretty quickly with two fouls. I think when your go-to guy is is on the bench like that and you're already down a starter, I think it's going to be an issue. I think that, well, I should say I'm shocked that Bates and Joey provided such high-quality minutes for the team. I'm really happy to see it. I do love both of them. Jay, don't be surprised. Don't do that. No, don't give him that satisfaction. Don't you dare be surprised. We called this. We called this. You got a point? I'm saying I'm shocked that it was long-term high-quality minutes. I love Bates Jones. He may have very well been the difference maker in the game seeing as he did hit that one Bates bomb and said, one by two said it. we said he was gonna one or two games this season we said he uh, was uh, I said that was gonna happen and look what yeah, happened yeah. Me, TK. Uh, yeah. I, yeah I feel like you guys are gaining up on me a little bit I, do, <laughs> I needed to hear something I, 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 I needed I, to hear something yeah. you know when I was driving away from Cameron last night 
um, they actually were interviewing some of the players, and Bass Jones was the first one <laughs> that they were interviewing. So that 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 was pretty hilarious. Now he obviously he played he played well in the role that he was in. He played nine minutes, hit a couple big shots. I have a question. Yeah. And let's be honest about this. I, I love I love Theo John to death. I think he offers us something. He got eight minutes. The base got nine yesterday. Mark is going to play about and Mark got he he himself got about thirty two minutes. Obviously, Paulo was out with the the foul trouble and such. Is Bates a viable bench player for this team with Theo having the troubles he's having? Because we need somebody other than just Joey. We can't play with six. I mean, if you're asking me, I think, yeah, viable, absolutely. I think that he he's an interesting player, right? Because, you know, with the lapse in athleticism and quickness, he is reliable to uh, extend the defense, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he can hit a shot. He, he he doesn't mind being physical and, and mixing it up. You know, I saw that firsthand. So, yeah, I think he has a role. Mm-hmm. But I think for us to be, you know, be honest about it and, and be as good as we can potentially be, Theo can't be playing the, the type of games where he's he's just so inconsistent. Like, he has those one games where he's a man amongst boys, and he's throwing people around, and then his other games where I don't want to. He's not soft. That's not the right word, but no. certainly he's. I don't know if he's. Like, it just doesn't feel like he's mentally there, engaged. I guess. Yeah, it's 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 odd. Like he's he's such a rock on the bench, everywhere else, but at times in games, I don't know if it's the system. I don't know if he's injured. I don't know what it is, but he does seem very disconnected. Like, and not even disconnected with the team. He still feels like he's very much a part of the team. It's just his own, whether he's getting his own way or what. But, I mean, we need him. We absolutely need Theo. He he provides defensive capabilities and things that Bates can't provide us. But Bates gives us something in the shooting ability and being a fifth-year player who knows how to play the game, he knows how to watch reads, he knows how to scout, all those things. So I, I think moving forward, he, I don't think he's going to play a single minute in the national championship game when we get there. But – I absolutely think leading up to that, I think he can be a factor. Yeah, what do you feel about that, Jack? I mean, that's interesting. I, I Coincidentally, I was thinking about the same as uh, Thane. Uh, if, if, when we get to the Final Four, does Theo have a role? I think he does. I think Theo is still dealing with that back injury. I just think it's it's healed enough to the point that he can play. I'm just, I don't think he's 100%. Because this really started when that back injury mm-hmm. happened and he missed a little bit of time with that that's when that inconsistency in his play started. I think that once, once he gets back to a hundred percent, which hopefully will be before April, um, it, it should be before April seeing as he's playing now. I, I really think we're going to see th- the same Theo John we saw against the like, Kentucky Gonzaga and everyone else in between. Um, all right, let's switch gears a little bit here. Uh, Cause we, we got a lot to cover about this game uh, that, this is just another game where we get out-rebounded by a team we should not be out-rebounded by. Uh, our turnovers, especially in the first half, were abysmal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sickening. You can see it in the fans that were there. Everybody's getting very frustrated. You can see the anxiety starting to rise. And a lot of these turnovers are coming from guys that we're not expecting to turn the ball over. Uh, and, and big shout-out to Jeremy Roach, who does not turn the ball over, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, again, AC... It's the offensive rebound is 14 for, for Clemson. It's the turnovers, 12 for Duke, 9 in the first half. Yep. It's the ceiling fouls, the really dumb fouls. Uh, the one by Wendell where he, you know, you know, 
hits the eye in the face as he's dribbling down the court on the right side. And then the one where Joey tries to slide under and get the charge, which is the, it wasn't even close. Yeah. It was just a horrible, horrible play by Joey. Those are two our two captains that are, are upperclassmen. So I'm going to pick on them a little bit there because I expect a little more. But those are losing type of plays. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you're playing better teams, and we could have easily lost this game, again, it's the same things that are played in this team that keep showing up. And even against Syracuse, you know, Syracuse is just a horrible basketball team. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you can get away with it. But when we're playing better teams, you're not going to be able to get away with this. I know you mm-hmm. you want to talk about that, you know, later on in the year. What happens in February? What do you see happening here? It's gonna it's gonna take an adjustment, and I think I think we're gonna see it. Like K is not known for showing what he's gonna show in the tournament in January. We know this, so let's be patient. Like it's it's hard to be patient sometimes. I get it. I understand it. I've been a big fan too. But what the team we have now absolutely will not be the team that goes into March. It just won't, Whether whatever changes, whether it's something offensively, something defensively, or both. There's going to be something that changes. My bet is that we're going to get away from the overplay. I think right now we are allowing teams to create this game plan of just drive at Mark Williams, throw it as high as you can off the glass, and then all, all five of you guys just crash at the, at the board and go get it, and you somebody will get the rebound and put it back up for a layup. That's an efficient offense. It's super inefficient offense. And a team teams can't live on that against us, just like we can't live playing that style of basketball as well. And again, if we're saying it, we know the staff knows this. So I think they're being patient. I think they're waiting. And I think we're going to see something very similar to the past decade with K, especially with these one and done guys, which is get away from the overplay because it doesn't work with this style of basketball that people play nowadays and, and move back into something more, more resembling that, closer almost even not quite a matchup zone but you know we're packing that lane still protecting the three-point line but we're able to rebound and we're in better rebounding position that's step number one step number two is getting the ball to the inside so we can shoot more free throws create more opportunities because right now we have to find a way to figure out this field goal attempted differential we just got to we got to do it and i know the staff has something on their plate for it so that's that's the biggest way to the best way to fix that is to shrink your defense back and get down to the other side of the floor create some turnovers, get out and transition. I, I think we'll be able to make that happen in the next couple months. All right, so there's a solution for that. Jack, do you have a solution for the turnovers? Don't be an idiot with the ball. <laughs> I mean, at some, point it, at some point it has to be that simple. I mean, you, you see a lot of just freshman plays by Paulo. He had four turnovers last mm-hmm. night. You see a lot of freshman plays by Paulo. You see Wendell with that dumb offensive foul. You see just guys dribbling the ball off their feet. You see someone walking with the ball right after catching a pass. It's not that simple, but it is that simple. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot to think about. Obviously basketball is a very complex game and that's why I am not a coach and coach K is. However, there are just stupid plays that get made and that causes turnovers. I mean, statistically our two biggest offenders with turnovers are Apollo and Wendell. Yeah, yes. I mean, they're the guys that have the ball in their hands the most. Exactly. Other than Jeremy, shout out to him. He's got that Tyus Jones level assist turnover ratio mm-hmm. right now. But actually, I'll say Trey Jones. Trey's the all-time leader at Duke. <laughs> but like those two guys are the ones who have had the ball in their hands for the most this season mm-hmm. at the end and of I'm, the possession. I'm cool with it being – if Paul is making some of these turnovers because he's trying to do something, I'm cool with that because the defense yeah. consistently has to make sure that he is taken care of. Wendell, it's not an excuse, and it's it's the reason why I have been saying I, I really think Wendell needs to shrink back to our fourth or fifth option on offense. 
it's it's just it is what it is. It's what we talked about last week with Carewell. If Carewell with that team with Jason Williams, Dunleavy, and Battier was like our our number three or four option, and the other guys stepped up and were the other number one and number two and number three options, that team would have went to the final four easy. It was a cakewalk. But it wasn't the case, and Carewell had to take on more than he could, and we were what we were. And it's the same with this team. Like if Wendell consistently has to be our second or third option, we're we're not going to advance the way we need to. Now a game at a time, sure. Here and there, absolutely, but not not all season, especially because it turns 12 assists, 12 turnovers for Wendell Moore. Not acceptable. Well, yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And I'm completely in agreement. I think pretty much any Duke fan will, will agree with you in terms of Paolo. Yeah, you can live with it. The Wendell thing I can't live with, and I think that there has to be a change made there in terms of – and we've already seen it a little bit. And one thing that I want to give Coach K some credit for, actually – is, you know, in the Way Forest game, you know, I'm sure that it was Coach K's call to, to, you know, not start Jeremy. Having said that, you know, Jeremy only played 19 minutes in that game. Since that game, Coach K's been back, and Coach K's been riding Jeremy Roach. He's been saying, okay, look, this is my point guard. And each game that I've seen, he's getting more and more responsibilities, more and more ball handling uh, time on the court. So, that's something that I'm like, okay, Coach K clearly sees something in him where he knows that come, you know, come March, come hopefully April, that he's going to have to rely on Jeremy to be his guy. He, you know, he's, he's general on the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm seeing. And to your point, AC, if Wendell Moore is your fourth option on this team, your third, fourth option, great. But we can't have him, be, like, at, at the end of last game, uh, against Clemson, it probably had to have been proven. We have our strategy at the end of the game. Yep. Get and Paul you, on the block, give him the fucking ball, and get the hell out of the way. And who didn't? Who didn't touch the ball once in those last two minutes? Wendell. Sorry, but it's true. Like he didn't touch the ball, and we succeeded. That's the point. Like it's he is so he's good off the ball. He is really really good off the ball. But when he's on the ball and ha- being the guy to have to facilitate our offense, it's not him. We've said it since he was a freshman. They wanted him to be point guard when he came in as a freshman. That was what he was recruited for. Not to be a point guard, but to be one of those versatile guys who could play point. That's not him, man. And I think I think they know that now. Yeah, no, I think that that's right. And, and Jack, I want you to kind of tune in a little bit. Because you actually brought up Joey Baker. I want to give him a little bit of love because I thought that – talk about a guy that's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Joey Baker is a guy that I – let's put aside the uh, pump fakes that he <laughs> loves as much as he does. <laughs> But, but, you know, Joey, I thought, played very poised yesterday. You know, he does have a couple boneheaded plays. Um, you know, obviously the one where he tries to take the charge. And then there was one uh, toward the end of the second half where shot clock's running down. That should have been an easy play for him defensively. And, and, he, and he didn't make it and they get a bucket. But offensively, I loved what he did, putting the ball on the deck, trusting his ability to get to the rim um, and made a really clutch floater there. Joey, to me, seems like a guy that he could have taken his lumps and regressed right back to what he was. I think he's playing with more confidence now than I've seen him play in a Duke jersey. I honestly could not agree more with that. I think Joey Baker last night played his role perfectly. He took five shots, made four of them. Three of them were threes. He missed one of, uh, he missed one of his threes. He was three for four from three. And he did not have a single other stat on the offensive side of the ball. He committed four fouls. That's it. He had 11 points, four fouls, and a single robbed, other accumulated He, he got stat. robbed of one, though. That put back. I don't know how long it was a foul, but he got robbed of one. Yeah. I, I yeah. will agree. 
That being said, Joey played his role perfectly. He is a catch-and-shoot guy. He can drive to the rim if he's given the lane. He and did he, that perfectly. And he pump kicked on that one too. He did. You know what? It got his guy in the <laughs> air, did it not? No, it didn't. It didn't even work. Oh, I saw someone Twitter about it. Dude, Regardless, he, even, he, he got the bucket. He, did, he, he got, got the bucket. And he, he had no turnovers. He didn't pump fake. Just don't pump fake. Joey, stop doing it. Damn it. <laughs> he didn't turn the ball over. He's had two straight double figure scoring games. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not complaining about Joey Baker. I think he's really coming into his own as that sixth man, at least for the time being. How did you feel about P.J. Hall's performance yesterday? I think that P.J. Hall had a better performance trying to defend Jalen Johnson than he did last night. He was 6 for 21. <laughs> he, was, he was trying, at least. He, he, did put up, he did put up good numbers. He had 14 and 10. He had three assists. Mm-hmm. He had a block. But he shot 6 for 21, and that's inexcusable for anyone at the Division One level. Yeah, all right. So, you know, I, I, I just wanted to give you a uh, – Give you a chance to talk about your boy, P.J. Hall. Um, all right, so kind of switch gears real quickly. Uh, the Syracuse game on Saturday that, you know, Syracuse is just a bad team. Mm-hmm. Am I missing anything they see? Like, they're just a bad, bad team. Yeah, bad team. I think this shows and I think it proves to teams around the nation. And Clemson even tried it. And they were they were marginally successful because we didn't go into the game plan that we had against Syracuse. But you can't zone this team. That's I think we kind of proved that. And it made guys like AJ and Joey really comfortable. So I, I don't I don't anticipate us seeing a lot of zone moving forward. I, I think you'll still see teams kind of try to pack a lane and double follow and stuff, but I don't think we'll see us play much zone. Play yeah, against I, zone. Yeah, I can't imagine they will. I think, you know, the only thing again that you know I wanted to touch on is the fact that Jeremy Roach, you know, just continues to to ball out. He had not another nine assists in that game to just mm-hmm. one turnover. I feel like, you know, even though he didn't shoot the ball well, you know, he was only two two for 10 and two of eight from, from three. You, you can live with the misses when, you know, Jack, when when you're being that kind of floor general, I can live with the misses. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not complaining one bit. I will say Syracuse's zone has really showed a lot of flaws the last few years, and it really mm-hmm. shows Bayheim and his lack of defensive adjustments are really Syracuse. Oh. I think they are a bad team. When he doesn't have world class athletes to make his zone look good, then you have what are you talking point? about? No, no, they got they got Buddy, they got Jimmy Behan, they got your boy Joe Girard. I mean, you guys love Joe Girard again. Joe Greg Girard, Paul is beta, man. Oh, Greg Paul is beta. It was great to watch, and there's a reason he's at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And it's partially his defense, but all oh, that aside, look, end of the day, <laughs> the zone. End of the day, it's the zone. Like Syracuse has given up almost 633 point attempts this season and over 200 three point makes they've only attempted about 400 three pointers their opponents have taken like i said over 600 mm-hmm. it's the zone i think the zone is really limiting them i think Beheim could have a winning record but he doesn't because he refuses to defend the three pointer and in this day and age you cannot do that in basketball at any level like he's literally never never changed the spot so like that's the crazy thing about Bayheim, man like, it's not he, even like it's a three two which yeah. kind of it leaves the corners but yeah for for four for 40 years he's literally lived off his own it's nuts like i can probably count in my hand a number of times that they've actually even tried to play man for possession like it's, it's insane i don't think i've ever seen it i'm not even joking like yeah, in my it, life it, it, it was pretty ugly i'll just i'll just say that i don't even want to talk about this game it was you know it's just an ugly <laughs> game now th- th- I'm pretty sure that the spread was within reach there toward the end. 
you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we put, we put, you know, our uh, walk-ons in and, and everyone Keenan Worthington. Mm-hmm. No, I love, I love Keenan, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but the spread, was, yeah, the, spread, the spread was in doubt, though. All right, so we, we, we learned uh, a little bit after the Clemson game. I think that we kind of understand what our issues are, but let's go ahead and talk about the stock market because we want to give our best, you know, advice. Jack to people that are out there is their money how do we want them to invest it we want to start with our captain Wendell Moore I know you and I don't see eye to eye on this one you think that I'm giving him a little bit too much uh grief where do you stand on the Wendell Moore stock honestly I think that I you're gonna be surprised I do think it's kind of it's time to sell Wendell's peaked at this point for the season, as of right now, when you know how Kay loves to change his game plan and, and with AJ Griffin coming into the starting lineup, Wendell is relegated to a consistent third or fourth option. I think, I think Wendell's value is already peaked. I still think he's a very talented guy and he's still going to have a few big games. He's probably going to have average double figures like from here on out, but I don't think he's going to be a national player of the year candidate. Like he was in the, uh, 2021 calendar year yeah no i agree i i, I would sell is one of those things where yeah if you had sold at the peak before the covid break congratulations you would have made even more money but right now you know against syracuse right he had 15 points eight assists six rebounds he did that he's coming on his own but you know it's just it's the turnovers and i think i think jack you're absolutely right they're going to start diminishing his role uh in terms of you know handling the ball and being asked to be like that 1A type of guy to Paulo. And so for those reasons, I'm out uh, in terms of, of the stock. You know, it doesn't mean that Wendell's not going to have a significant role on his team. It's just not going to be anything more than, okay, look, your, your best attributes is that you're not great in one thing. You're just good at a lot of things. That Chris Carroll AC. Mm-hmm. That's what he needs to be. You know, be around the basket, tip things in, mm-hmm. be in the corners for open threes. That's pretty much what I want him doing going forward. Where, where do you have this stock? Now I'm about the same place. I'm, I'm, I'm at Salt. Like, like you said, there's no, there's no way he goes higher than what he was. And at this point, he can only go a little bit higher than what he is. So you might as well make something off of it. Because if there is some form of dive in his game towards the end of the season, you don't want to be there at the end being caught with that stock and holding on to it because there's nothing right. to do with it after that. So go ahead and sell now. It's fine. I do think that what we see out of Wendell right now is we're going to see at, at, I think this is pretty much his floor, honestly, like obviously he had a couple games where he was worse than he is now, but, and you would call that the floor, but you know, from a, a multi-game standpoint, we're using more variants or whatever. Yeah. This is his floor. He is still making 15 points a game. He's still rebounding at a decent rate. He's had a, he's kind of inconsistent on the rebounding side. He's still one of our better defenders the assists and turnovers is where he has dropped off from the beginning of the season. If there's any stat where he's dropped, it's that. And that's where I want to see the change because again, him being off ball, him being that fourth or fifth option means that he's going to be the third or fourth pass in the offense. And by that point, someone on this team should be open. And that's what was happening to begin the season. And I think we're going to get back to that on the offense again, because teams games plan game plans have changed against us. So we have to make adjustments to it. I think Kay will make adjustments. We've seen a few already. So it, it, I don't I, I don't think he's going to be – I don't think this is a fire sale by any means. But, yeah, it's all right now. 
Yeah, I, I was so, um, you know, let's talk about a guy that I think we're all going to be in agreement here again is Jeremy Roach. Uh, before this segment actually aired, I went and bought uh, a bunch of more stock of Jeremy Roach <laughs> while it was still a little bit lower than where it should be. Mm-hmm. 28, 28 assists to only three turnovers in his last four games. Jack, you already mentioned it. it it's, it's Trey Jones territory. So are, are you continuing to buy up as much as you possibly can afford? Oh, of course. Uh, I, If I was giving out investment advice, I would have said to buy after the Miami game with Jeremy because I knew he was going to come back really strong, and that was arguably his worst performance of the season. Um, but end of the day, Jeremy Roach, seven assists per game, less than one turnover per game over the last four. He is not Jay Williams. He's not Trey Jones. He's not Quinn Cook. He's not Bobby Hurley. He's Jeremy Roach, and he is doing a great job of being Jeremy Roach. And that's a compliment. AC, I know this is your guy. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still buying up in bulk like you're at Costco? What, what do we got? Of course. Like, that's my whole portfolio, I think, is Jeremy Roach at this point. <laughs> like, that's my dude. <laughs> Look, I, like – sophomore, junior, Chris Duhon. Like, this is exactly who we said he was going to be to begin the season. And now he's adding assists to the game where I didn't think he was capable of doing this on a, you know, a semi-regular basis. Like, this is this is only three games where he's he's had these assist numbers. But all season he's put out, he's, he's had games of six, seven, eight assists throughout the season. So it's not a surprise that he's here. There were plenty of games where Duhon only had one assist, two assists a game, whatever. Like, and, but limited turnovers, really good defense and hitting big game shots. That's exactly what Duhan did. And that's exactly what Jeremy Roach is doing. Like, and we, and we look at Duhan with such reverence because he was a part of a national championship team or whatever, but statistically the dude wasn't amazing by any stretch of the imagination. Jeremy is the same way, statistically not some jump off the page type of guy, but he makes those winning plays that send your team into the final four on a regular basis. And he's going to do it this year. I keep saying it, Jeremy Rose. He, he, he made two huge plays yesterday again. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, at, at the end of the game, you know, I just, and, and I love having the ball in his hands because I feel like he's going to make the right play. So yeah, you know, we're, we're going to keep harping on it. You heard it here from day one. We're just going to keep saying it to you. And people are coming around though. People are coming around. You're starting to see it. Yeah. And he's doing one thing I didn't think he could convince me of this season, which is throw it down. No, I well he did that too, which I, I knew he could that, was nice. that was nice. That was nasty. I love that he did it. He should have done it last game when he tried to reverse, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. It's it's the fact that I with this team to begin the season, it looked very much like we didn't need a true point guard because we could handle it and our guys weren't turning the ball over. But now that the turnovers are happening, this team needs, I hate to say it, a true point guard, and Jeremy's offering that. Yeah, I agree. Um so let's wrap this one up. AJ Griffin, this is this is a tough one. This is a tough one because we told you to buy and we told you to hold. <laughs> we haven't told you to sell yet with, with, with AJ. I feel like it's still a holding pattern for me because it is a little bit inconsistent. I do think that he's playing a little bit soft in, in different parts of the game mm-hmm. where, you know, timid, a little tentative, whether it's driving with uh, confidence or mixing it up around the glass, trying to get in there for defensive rebounds. Sometimes he does. I mean, he, he, if we were up to him, AC, I think he would just stand outside and just launch threes all game long. Be good. Yeah, and and, and I don't. I mean, that's, I don't like that. Obviously, for him, no. I don't like that for our team. And I, I think this is where we said 
January is going to be tough for him. He's had a much better January than I ever could have imagined, and I'm glad he has. But this is where we felt like he would struggle in January, getting used to the physical play of the ACC, getting used to mixing it up, and by February he would get it done. So I'm in a holding pattern. I'm going to be patient for now. I'm going to say that this will improve. This will be pointed out to him. There will be a nice little story that Jay Billis gets to reference that he and Chris Carrawell worked on something in practice about toughness, and now it's translating into games, blah, blah, blah. So February, just hold on to it until February. Jack? Hold. AJ is, I don't think he's done his progression over the course of the season. However, like AC said, he's been a little bit inconsistent recently. He's adjusting to the physicality of the ACC. He's far from finished product. We've been saying it all year. AJ Griffin is not going to be the AJ Griffin that we remember when we look back on the season until February at the earliest. Hold. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's going to be interesting, okay, guys? So let's talk about a little bit of uh, the rotation and what the starting lineup is going to look like when Trevor Keels does come back. I don't know if it'll be Saturday, AC. I don't know if it'll be Monday. I, I would like to think that they want to get him back before that Carolina game next Saturday. Um, but let's let's just say that he, you know, when he comes back, um, all things else being equal, what would you like to see with the starting lineup when AJ, uh, when Trevor comes back? Uh, I would number one. I would like to see Jeremy stay in the starting lineup. Again, the, to me, the starting lineup it doesn't matter who starts. It's like whatever who finishes the game is important, but that's cliche. So let's see who starts the game. I would like to see Jeremy start the game because he is giving us that true point guard option. And I think I'm back to, I would like to see AJ be the one to come off the bench. We can live with Paulo on the floor on offense. We can live with the the Mark and Jeremy two-man game to start games out for that first segment. I don't think we're going to be behind many teams for that first TV timeout segment. And then when AJ enters, he becomes now the second option behind Paulo because that's what he truly is. He's this team's second offensive option. So I think that's only going to help his development. I think we've seen it now him in the starting lineup. He's been timid. He's been tentative. I think he's one of those guys who likes to see in college, at least right now, he can sit, watch the game happen, get into the flow off the bench and then come in. I, I want to see him come off. I want to see him as our sixth man. Jack, do you see the same way or do you have a different one? I mean, I'm, I'm uh, mostly in agreement. I do think it's going to mostly be a matchup based assignment. I think AJ will be the guy who does come off the bench, but more than anything, it's the guy who gets the most minutes of the uh, the five guys who get the most minutes of those top six. I think that's going to depend on everything. I think some nights Wendell's not going to get that much play time. I think sometimes AJ might not if he's off or if teams are overpowering him at um, three or the four. It could be Mark if a team tries to uh, scheme him out like we saw a few times at the beginning of the year. I think AJ off the bench is the best move though, because he has shown already that he can provide that spark and he can be a very valuable piece. And we've seen guys come off the bench at Duke and be first round picks multiple times. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think he's going to be that mad about it. If at all, I think he's very trusting of the coaching staff. So it's not even going to necessarily cause any chemistry issues. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all right. And I also think that, to me, AJ makes the most sense coming off the bench. I think for all the reasons he said, but I also want to talk about the fact that, you know, Jeremy, to me, seems like a guy that Coach K is not trusting. I said it before, but I keep saying it. He seems to me be like Coach K sees something in him that 
a lot of our fan base doesn't see, mm-hmm. and he's clearly trusting of him. 40 minutes last night, 18 assists and two turnovers in his last two games. He has a chemistry with Trevor Keels that I think is really understated. Mm-hmm. That That's what I would want to keep. I don't want the idea of bringing Trevor off the bench. I was going to ask that. Do, yeah. you see, do you see a world where that happens? Uh, yeah, I can, see a, I can see a world where it happens. I just would I, I don't think it would be best for business. I mean, just I mean, just thinking about it, like logically speaking, mm-hmm. those two play so well together. And I feel like Trevor Keels and AJ, while not the exact same player, they do a lot of the same things. So to me, it just makes a little bit more sense to pair Jeremy up with the guy that he has the better chemistry with right now. It's like it's interesting because I look at Trevor and AJ are like at, at this point of the season they've been almost two completely different players who somewhat offer the same thing like they're both yeah. shooters they mm-hmm. both can drive they both can handle the ball those things but Trevor is miles ahead of AJ on the defensive end miles and sure. and that is like I think that's the place where I'm like what do we do with that because if you're bringing AJ and Joey off the bench at the same time I. I don't like that necessarily. I don't like that lineup. I don't like that defensively because especially if Theo's going to come in with them too, that, that really, that puts us, that puts us behind defensively, depending on who the other team leaves in the game. And that's the one thing I don't like. So it's like, what, you know, what do you do? I mean, obviously I just said that AJ is going to be the one to come to the bench, but you know, bringing Trevor off the bench after that first segment. And now you have another great defender in the game because you already have two great defenders in Jeremy and Wendell. Now you have another great defender come off the bench subbing one of those guys out, you really don't lose much on the defensive end. Whereas if you bring AJ and Joey off the bench at the same time, you lose a lot on the perimeter defensively. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Jack, do you see, do you actually see, because you you, you brought up the matchup situation. Do you see it much the same way? Because I know that Kay historically has always liked to say, okay, you know, and we see it, we see it this year, right? You know, where Theo John is the first guy off the bench. We always know he's coming in. That after the first TV timeout to give Mark a blow, and then after that, he kind of plays it, you know, based on how the game's gone. Do you see it being a scenario, or is this just something that you would like to see based on matchups? It's more something I'd like to see. Okay. You guys know how Kay is, <laughs> but <laughs> it's I, I, I'm, I'm a wishful thinker. Also, I am not Coach K. I do not have anywhere close to the basketball genius he does, so I'm going to trust whatever he does, but it's just something I'd like to see. Um, well, I will say this, Jack, that you do have a certain genius about you, and that is giving yeah. us this week, AC, this is Jack's segment, just remember that. I so, <laughs> uh, so this week in Duke Basketball History, we are recording on 126. So, Jack, what do you have for us uh, in this week in Duke History? All right, so this week uh, started on January 24th. I'm going to go Monday to Sunday. Um so let's go January 24th. A lot of Clemson, just quick heads up this week, historically. <laughs> so we'll go back to 1981, Coach K's first season. Duke 75, Clemson 57. Vince Taylor, the one and only, dropped 20 points with three assists and two steals. Gene Banks shot seven for 10 with 19, nine rebounds and two steals. And uh, like I said, Duke beat Clemson by 18 points. Go six years forward to January 24th of 1987. Number 12, Duke versus number 10, Clemson. Overtime game, Duke comes out on top, 105-103. John Smith leads the way for Duke. 28 points, 7 rebounds. He's 10 for 10 at the line. Tommy Amaker has 17 points. 
He has five assists. He's three of six from deep. Danny Ferry has 18, nine rebounds, five assists. Billy King has two steals, six assists, and seven points. And then you got Kevin Strickland, 18, and seven rebounds. And then on the other side, Horace Grant from Clemson, 33 points, 12 rebounds, and six assists. A very, very high-paced game. Great showing, great battle. Duke coming out on top there just barely by two. Go to January 25th, you got a couple of pretty iconic games in Duke history. Duke beating Clemson 68-66 back in 07. McRoberts leading the way with 17, 12 <laughs> rebounds. Yes, laugh, laugh. Dave McClure, it's Nick Roberts. I'm getting there. Shire had 12 points, four assists. Dave McClure had eight points, including oh, a buzzer beater. Two win. What, what a pass from John Shire, by the way. An exceptional pass by John Shire. Exactly. Fourth and final assist for Shire there. And you know, and what a douche Len Elmore is with the, oh, no, no, that didn't count, that asshole. I hate that guy so much. Uh, yeah, we, we should do a segment, honestly, um, on announcers that we or, or color men that we hate the most <laughs> in all in all of sports. But Len Elmore is on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come uh, on, Jack. All right, a few more really good games historically. We'll get to today, January 26th, back in 1994. Duke versus Notre Dame, a game that we're going to see in a few days. 74-72 win for the Blue Devils behind 21, five rebounds, five assists to block and two steals from Grant Hill. 13 points and nine rebounds from Cherokee Parks. 12 points from Antonio Lang. Great all-around game from the Blue Devils. Go to January 27th. A little bit of an iconic moment in Duke history. Another one. <laughs> I completely skipped January 25th. Excuse me, I'll come back to this January 27th game. I skipped another very important game, January 25th, 2015. Coach K's thousandth win. Yeah, 22 from Tyus and six assists, 17 from Quinn, was, 17 and 10 from Ja. Jack, you were at, you were at that game, right? I was. Okay, no, I, was at, I was at that game, too. That, that, to me, was one of the best games I've ever attended. I mean, I was completely, completely worried that Duke wasn't going to come out on top for the longest time, and then, boom, Okafor, Quinn, and Tyus just explode. It was unbelievable. What a game. That was, that's one of the top three games I've ever been to. Yeah. I'm saying that. Now, awesome. <laughs> going back to January 27th, I'm going to take you back 21 years now, 2001. Duke versus 20. Maryland, 98-96 in overtime. That was 21 years ago. That is so 21 years ago. Jay oh, Williams, the miracle minute. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. 25 points for Jay, two steals, seven rebounds, five assists, 20 points from Battier, three blocks, seven rebounds from him as well. Mike Dunleavy had 18, eight rebounds, and three assists. Nate James had five steals to go with 16 points and five boards. And the Booze Cruise himself had 15, nine rebounds and two steals. Just an incredible game. Duke coming out in overtime after being down 10 with a minute to go. My yeah. favorite, favorite anecdote from that game is is Jason Williams talks about it and some of the other players talk about it is at, at when they were in the timeout before the game even ended and Battier was running the timeout and he was like, we're going to win this game. And when we win this game, just go shake their hands. Like it's business as usual, no celebration. We're supposed to win this game. I love that. And, and you watch the game. He immediately, as soon as it's over, he gives a little fist pump, walks straight to the line. Some of the other guys, they kind of forgot. They, they celebrated a little bit. Cause I mean, how can you not? But then they they fell in line, man. They ran right over. They got in line. It was like, yeah, this is business trip, man. I was like, this is that that gives me goosebumps every time, man. It's a great, great game. Looking back at it, we're gonna go to January twenty eighth when Duke played Wake Forest in twenty seventeen and eighty five eighty three win. A little too close for the Blue Devils, I will say. But Luke Kennard had thirty four of those eighty five points. 
What a what a yeah. shooting performance! Tonight. Exactly, mm-hmm. he was six Jesus. of six from three, eleven of fourteen mm-hmm. overall from the floor. And last night, by the way, yes, sir. Whitey. Yes, this sir. Is so good. He is for real. He is, Four point play to win it. Yeah, he is. He is vastly overachieving what people thought he could do in the NBA, and I love it. I love every second of it. He's he's slept on. He's worth that contract, mm-hmm. regardless of what people say. And we're gonna go. One year in the future from that game and a day to January 29th, 2018, Duke versus Notre Dame. Again, a matchup we're going to see mm-hmm. in just a few days. Duke 88, Notre Dame 66, 22 and 10 boards from Gary Trent, 18 and 8 assists from Grayson, 17 and 7 from Wendell. Bagley and Duval, the two lower, lowest scoring starters with 12 each. Bagley also had eight rebounds, three blocks, two steals. Duval had four assists and two steals. Every starter, like I just said, scored in double figures. And it was an incredible game. Gary Trent's scoring was the exact difference. Just great game. Bring it up to 2017, January 30th. Notre Dame again. Duke 84, <laughs> Notre Dame 74, 21 from Grayson, five rebounds, three assists. Tatum had 19 and 14 boards that game. Luke had 16 points. And Matt Jones with 16 points, five rebounds, and three assists off the bench. Matty J, oh, baby. Wow, wow. Matt Jones, yeah. shout out. Matty J. Love me some Matty Ice. Great player. Honestly, he was the reason we won the ACC championship. Oh, uh, yes, he was. In, yes, in he the offseason, I want to do an all I want to do an all bench player team. Like what, what would be our all bench player team? And and Dave McClure and Matt Jones are absolutely gonna be on mine. I just wanna get spoiler alert. <laughs> McGetty's gotta be there. That's not, that's not fair. Come on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but thinking, all right, what else we got, Jeff? Uh that's that's all for this week in Duke history. Got wow. some great games, a lot of thrillers, a little bit of Notre Dame matchup uh, history, Miracle Minute, K's thousandth win, the buzzer okay. beater by McClure, an overtime win over a top ten team, twenty eight points from John Smith. What else could you ask for? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's pretty solid. And speaking of history, uh, AC, your boy, <laughs> Chris Mack is history. Uh, so he's he's <laughs> nah, fine. Nah, nah, nah. Uh, so are you are you are you upset that he will not be coaching against Duke on Saturday? Yeah, because I don't get to say Chris Mack is gonna Chris Mack anymore, man. That's right. my, that's my catchphrase, dude. I miss right. it, man. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, than, yeah, I'm I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> other than that, I'm not worried. I know I've seen I've seen it a lot online and everything else. Of, like you know, oh, perfect timing. They they fire him and now the team's gonna show out and play the best game of the season against Duke and we're gonna lose all those. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. Well, you can you can actually go to this game. Tickets are as low as seventeen dollars. Yeah. So you are twelve this o'clock is, on Saturday. You're, feel free to head over to Louisville, Kentucky, and watch this game. This is the perfect PR dream for them to fire your coach midseason. The next game you play is against Duke. So if you beat Duke by a chance, then oh look, we made you know look at this. We made a great move. We got rid of the guy and now we're winning. If you get stomped by Duke, it's like, oh, yeah, we kind of stink and we need to make a change. And this is our rebuild. So we got to get rid of starting with our coach, got to get rid of that guy. So it's a great PR move that they don't they have. There's no lose situation here for Louisville at all, other than they're going to lose the game. It's so, they're, they're a terrible team. Horrible they're, team. Just, I'm not, they're not, not even going go to go into yeah, it. Um, other yeah. than They play the pack line. So it'll be nice to see us play against the pack line, even though we're not going to see any pack line team tournament teams. Because UVA sucks too. So just let's see if we can get out of the pack line without any injuries. We're going to drive the hell out of it, as you should, against the pack line. And we're going to shoot threes because they allow you to shoot 36% from three odds on the season. Horrible defensive team. And we're going to we're gonna destroy them. I, I, give me 85 to 62. It might, be cl- it might be close in the first half, and that's it. Jack, what do you got? 
I like I like Duke by probably about 15 to 20 in this game. I'm going to say it's going to be 79 to 63. I think it's going to be a blowout all proportions. I think obviously the team's going to have a little bit of spark with Chris Mack gone to prove themselves and prove that it was him that is the reason they suck. But they still suck. They don't have Carly <laughs> Jones or David Johnson to destroy Duke on the perimeter. Not that they would have done that this year anyway with the uh, perimeter defense that we have between Jeremy Wendell and Trevor. But ah, it's really interesting, really interesting to see their splits between them and their opponents. They have more turnovers, less blocks, less steals. They have like 10 more assists on the year than their opponents. They are slightly out-rebounding their opponents. They've taken less free throws, but they've somehow scored more points. I'm not worried. End of the day, they suck. They suck just like AC said, <laughs> they suck. <laughs> Samuel Williamson and Malik Williams can only do so much for you. They suck. They suck. Duke right, by 16, so... <laughs> 79, 63, like I said. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm going to take it uh, 81, 68. Hopefully, uh, it's, it's, you know, 16 to 20. That'd be even better. All right. So we're going to wrap it up before we play Carolina next Saturday. Obviously, it's going to be a bit weird. We got to go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's had a little bit better of a season than I thought that they would, AC. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about them a little bit. They're 12-6. and six. Uh, They're fourth in the ACC right now. Uh, a game that, you know, was postponed and, you know, is, is now back on the books. What do you see happening in this one? This yeah, is this, a trap, it's just a trap game for us. Yeah, this, this, I wouldn't even call it a trap game because they're good. Like, it's like it's not, you know, it's not coming off of a tough game or, you know, I mean, whatever. Like, this is just a good team. Mike Bray has had great success against Duke since he's been at Notre Dame at Notre uh, at, at Notre Dame versus Duke. So I think he has a winning percentage against K at Notre Dame since he's been there. So it's, you know, the writing is on the wall for this one. I am going to pick this one as a loss. You have Cormac Ryan, who is, he's the Duke killer. Cormac Ryan is going to have six threes. They shoot threes at a 41% clip in conference. They're exceptional from the three-point line. So that's, that's something it's, it's Duke's, Three-point defense going to hold up against their three-point shooting. That's going to be two things that are a really big factor for this game. Uh, they're not, you know, not a great rebounding team, but I'm not even going to touch on that because we know the rebounding story until something changes. It is what it is. So we have to be able to defend their threes. Force Prentice Hub in the bad shots. I think that's going to be Jeremy's assignment. Dane Goodwin's had an exceptional year for them. He plays almost every minute. They only play seven players. They're kind of like us. So not a big, not a yeah. deep bench. So this is going to be a good game. Blake Wesley is somebody who writers like to pretend like he's going to beat Paulo Bancaro out for freshman of the year, even though he's only won one freshman of the week award so far. So that's not going to happen, but he is a really, really good freshman, really good player. And he's been their leading scorer like the past three games. So I, I really like Notre Dame a lot. I think they're a good team. They're going to be a tournament team. So I, I feel like this one's going to be a loss. It's going to be hard to come out of three straight road games with three wins. And I'm going to pick Duke to beat Carolina spoiler alert. So I, I got to pick this one as a loss, and I got to say it's going to be Notre Dame 78, Duke 74. Jack, what do you got? I don't really think Notre Dame is as good as advertised, but again, Bray is very good at coaching against K, um, which makes a lot of sense. That being said, this is a team that, no disrespect to Kenny Blakeney or Tyler Thornton, beat Howard by three. No disrespect to Jeff Capel. They beat Pitt by one. They took, it took them overtime to beat Georgia Tech by four. Um, yeah, they beat Kentucky and Carolina. Okay, they lost to Boston College. Get him, Jack. Get him, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame is a good team. 
Notre Dame beat Duke last year. Not that that's saying much at all. However, Duke also beat Notre Dame last year. I think this is a win. I think it's a close win. Obviously, Notre Dame always plays close unless it's there's very few exceptions where Notre Dame has not played Duke close. That game that I talked about where Gary Trent went off, that game where they won, where Duke won by 30 at Cameron, only times that I can recall off the top of my head that Duke and Notre Dame have not played close. I think it's going to be probably 80 to 74 Duke. That's my prediction. Up, All right. Um, well, you know, what was funny here, Jack, is that I had picked this as a loss for Duke as well, and you almost – you almost convinced me that Duke was going to find a way to win it. But I do see them looking at Carolina on Saturday, three straight road games. I think that, you know, yeah, Notre Dame is going to come in. They're going to shoot the lace out because that's just what's going to happen. I think we're going to come back. We're going to come back and, and make it a closer game than maybe the score predict. Uh, I'm going to have Notre Dame winning the 77-72, though. And, and, and really, just really, Debbie Downers. Look, look I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to be honest. I think the best thing that could happen to Duke fans is that AC and I both picked us to lose. So I should almost guarantee that Duke will win this game. There Sometimes you got to take one for the team. Put our pride aside, Jack. You know, this is something that you got to learn here. You know, as, as, you know, let the seniors tell you how, how, how this goes. Um, all right, so that's what we got. Saturday, the Chris Mathis Louisville Cardinals. Uh, 12 o'clock, and then we got the Irish on Monday night, and then it's Carolina week. You already know how that goes. Let's go Duke. I'll miss you, Chris Mack. Let's go Duke. Let's go Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the 5 Point Play Podcast, the number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at 5 Point Play Podcast. That's the number 5 Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter, 5 Point Play Podcast. Go Duke!